Today's episode is from our archives, and the idea behind it is core and foundational to what we do as coaches. It comes up time and time again. I talk to great coaches on this podcast about this idea all the time, so I wanted to reshare this one with my coaching points and some of the ideas that I've put together over time. Uh, I've boiled a lot of this down from what other people do and put it all in one place here, so enjoy. Welcome to the Coaching Coordinator Podcast. I'm bringing you a thought from my notebook today. This one from my coach's staff manual and something I put together years ago. I've used it as a head coach. I've used it as a coordinator. I've used it as myself when I was a position coach to be sure that I was building strong relationships with my players. This is something I studied. I put together over time. Honestly, I don't know exactly where all these have come from. I've borrowed them from coaching manuals, I've borrowed them from clinics, I've borrowed them from books I've read, from articles I've read, etc. So I've put this together, certainly credit to anybody who has some of the thoughts here that, again, I don't feel they were all original, but put it together in one piece, and I think it's something that really gives you a direction for how you build your relationships with your players, and it's so important. I've just been going through and going to college spring balls and watching what's going on there, watching practice structure but also really looking at coaches interacting with players and trying to learn from them. And I can tell you this, from the highest level, the FBS level, relationships there are extremely important. You see a lot of rapport between that coach and the player. They have a strong relationship. I know recently in watching some of the March Madness, a lot of people point to a video of Tom Izzo really getting after a player and I see guys using that as validation. See, there's hard coaching everywhere, and I don't disagree with you, but I think we're missing a point in saying that that's the way it should be. I think what we don't understand as coaches is that, number one, I'm absolutely positive. Tom has built a strong relationship with that player. I'm sure that we don't know all the context of it, but I'm also positive that Eventually, he probably went back and talked to that player individually. So we we can't take that out of context and say this is the way it should be done. We can't find validation for treating players poorly. Yes, we are demanding. Yes, we should. If you've heard a podcast with Brian Kite and I before, we should be maniacal about our standards, right? We shouldn't let those go, but that doesn't mean we need to be maniacs. That doesn't validate us in treating people poorly. So here are my coaching points. This is directly from my coaching staff manual. I will put this together in a blog that you'll see on blogs.usafootball.com, as well as giving our show notes on this too. And I start this out actually with a quote in my coach's manual, and it's from Napoleon. It says, there are two powers in the world, the sword and the spirit. In the long run, the sword will always be conquered by the Spirit. I I believe that's exactly what we're talking about here. We can't rely on just hammering people to get them to do what they need. We have to build relationships. They have to come from a sincere spot. And so that's what we're talking about today. The way we motivate our players is as important to what we do as our technical and strategical knowledge of football. There are many motivational concepts and philosophies, but ours will be built on the ideas of trust, respect, caring, and honesty. Yelling and over-disciplining does not lead to a better team. 
A lot of people do not respond well to anger, especially young people. Sure, at times you may raise your voice, but it will never be in anger. Only raise your voice if it might be deemed necessary to get a point across during practices, games, etc. As a coach, once you show them that you are acting as a friend and not as a dictator, you can earn the trust of your players. When you have their trust, they'll be more receptive to constructive criticism that you might give them and are more willing to listen to suggestions. Also, when a coach earns his player's trust, they can earn the respect of the player. Respect is the most important ingredient to a strong coach-player bond. If a player knows you are looking out for them and want to help them, they will respond by working harder to keep the coach's respect. And hard work will lead to success. But you cannot have success without trust, respect, caring, and honesty. In the next section, I started with a quote again. Uh, I don't know where this one came from. It's an anonymous one. But motivation is awareness of what can influence the motivational level in people. And more importantly, it is how to put this knowledge into work. I think that's important there. We really have to understand not just what might motivate them, but how do we use that knowledge? So here's some more coaching points. And I titled this section, Coaching Points to Build Trust and Establish Relationships. Number one, give eye contact when giving directions to players. This relates to a sign of honesty by the coach. I made it a point uh, for a long time, probably foolish to do this, uh, should have been protecting my eyes, but I would not wear sunglasses at practice. Eventually, I started wearing sunglasses at practice, and I would be sure that if it was a, a point where I really needed to get something across, that it was really something about the relationship, those sunglasses were coming up, and I was able to look that player in the eyes. Number two, you got to be sure of yourself, but do not yell unnecessarily. If you've listened to this podcast, you've heard that experienced coach say again and again, what's a mistake you made as a young coach? I yelled too much. And I think some of it is we are trying to find ourselves as coaches at that point in our careers. We're trying to establish ourselves, and we make the mistake of doing that by being more assertive than we should be in and trying to use assertiveness as the way to get respect instead of building the relationship. Number three, be careful about humor between yourself and your players. Too much humor, especially sarcasm, can ruin relationships. We have fun with our guys all the time. We want to poke at them, jab at them. They do it to each other. But when it becomes excessive and maybe when it can be misconstrued by the player, it's not a good time for it. You have to really be careful with it and especially be careful with sarcasm. Number four, personality is important. Do not try to copy other coaches' personalities. Simply be yourself. This is the best way to deliver a message to your players. We've heard that from coaches time and time again on this podcast as well. You have to be yourself. You have to figure out who you are as a coach, and that's something that evolves over time. We just had a coach come on here, a state champion, and he talked about how he was all the way up to his first state championship, and he walked off that field that night and said, is that all there is? And it changed his perspective on things and how he was going to operate, and it, it really, what he feels, has brought his team to more championships. So, again, be yourself. Number five, be honest. Don't tell your players something that cannot be achievable. Uh, we're going to face situations where 
were overmatched, where that guy lining up across from him may have an advantage. I've never talked about uh, things from the perspective of, you know, trying to ensure a player he's going out no matter what he's winning. I've been honest with about this is going to be a challenge. I say that with every opponent. I feel every opponent presents some kind of different challenge, even an opponent who we look at and say that's they're inferior to us. We're just better than them. There's a lot of challenges that go along with that, too. So you have to be focused on what is achievable for that particular player and be honest about that as well. I inserted another quote here before the next one. Coaches who can outline plays are a dime a dozen. The ones who can win get inside their players and motivate. And Vince Lombardi said that. Obviously, he was very good at that. Uh, we see all those iconic pictures of him drawing up his, his sweep, but he was also very good at getting to the heart of his players. So number six, talk to your players and let them know you care about them as individuals. When leaving the practice field, be sure to touch base with each of your players. Say something positive, especially if you were tough on them in practice. Again, it's okay to be demanding. It's okay to be tough. But make sure they understand where that is coming from, that it is coming from a place of caring. Don't go and just sit in the coach's office until you've talked to each of your players. It's part of your job as a coach. A good way to do this. Just saw it yesterday at the University of Buffalo. Practice ended. Coach Leipold brought everybody together. He talked to the team when he was done. Everybody split off and talked to their position coach. And some of those meetings went on for 10 minutes. And some of them went on for a little bit with all the players. And then a few players stayed behind or one player stayed behind and talked to the coach or maybe worked on something or he illustrated something towards them. There was a lot of coaching going on during that period. So think about using those. You might not have a facility where it's easy to get around and talk to those players individually, right? If you don't have a big team room or something like that, then think about doing like that. Set aside that time right after practice. The head coach brings everybody together and talks and then the position coaches get their opportunity as well. Number seven is about yelling, right? We don't want to be yellers, but there is going to come that time where it happens, right? This is an emotional game. I'm not saying that we should not be emotional. So number seven, you may yell at a player, but be sure you have a specific purpose for doing it. A player must do something extremely wrong for you to yell. Your frustration is not a good reason. Be sure you are only yelling after you have given him proper instruction as to what he was supposed to do. This may mean telling and correcting him several times. Be sure the player you are yelling at had the ability to get what you asked him done. You must understand our philosophy of how players develop. And again, that's something in our handbook and it's spelled out. You must treat each situation differently. All players have different abilities. Don't lose it and yell until you are positive they are performing below their ability. And I think that's the key to this. They are performing below their ability. You need to shock something into their system. This doesn't mean you go on a tirade or rant, but it may be those few instructional things you need to yell at him and emphasize with a point. So I don't mean chewing a guy on the side like that, but there is that opportunity to elevate emotion to make sure he's understanding exactly what you see and need to get out of him. Be sure you meet with that player later and let him know that you yelled because you care and you know he's better than the level he's performing at. Make sure that there are no hard feelings when he leaves. And again, I don't think you can do this if you don't have a rapport with that player. 
Again, don't point to Tom Izzo doing it on TV and say, oh, he does it, I'm going to do it. Because again, I'm 100% positive. He's got a strong relationship with that player. You have to build the rapport with the player. Also, yelling should not be done until there's a relationship between the coach and the player. We have plenty of time to get to know our players in the offseason. This means you must be visible and you must talk to them. Make it a point to get in there and talk to all the players, especially your position players. Talk to them and find out a little bit about them. If they're involved in other activities, ask them about their other activities. An easy way to get to know them is to talk to them about how their classes are going. This also puts the emphasis on academics. Letting them know you're expecting a lot from them also motivates them to have a good workout if you're talking to them in the weight room. Learn their names and address them by their names. Remember, absolutely no yelling until you are positive you know that they understand you care about them. You have to establish the relationship and you have to establish the expectations of their performance before you would go to the point where you would elevate emotion and essentially I'm saying here yell. And again, I don't know if that's the best term for that right here. The idea though is you are really emphasizing something vocally to them to get your point across. Again, make sure you are absolutely clear in your expectations of their performance. If it wasn't coached, You shouldn't be getting mad at them. You ought to be looking at yourself and saying, what could I have done better as a coach to make sure he was prepared? Number eight coaching point is to be patient. Your player's success is your responsibility. Exclamation point there. If they do not get it or are continually performing it wrong, you have to evaluate your methods first. Maybe there's a better way to get it done. Get feedback from your players. I've always relied on them. I always wanted to make learning a pillar of our culture that not only was the learning from the coach to the player, but the learning also goes from the player to the coach. They are out there on the field. They might do something intentionally or accidentally that works a little bit better. We have to be willing as coaches to see what we can do to evolve and adapt things so that we're having success. Again, you have to have the clear expectations They may not be clear or understand something that you are assuming that they know. If you've already told them 10 times, you may have to tell them 11, 12, or more times. The idea is you have to reinforce the teaching, and you have to maybe take a different approach to it. If what you're doing isn't working for that player, take the responsibility to figure out how you can get through to him. Number nine deals with physical discipline. So running, conditioning, those types of things. And I think they're okay. I think they have to be used in the right situation. And I broke it down into three types here. Number one was physical errors related to the constant misuse of a technique. Discipline is best used when you can relate it directly to that mistake. So for example, if a player drops the ball then make them stay and catch extra passes. But again, don't make it just the activity of the extra passes. Why is he dropping the ball? What is he doing wrong? Is he taking his eyes away too quickly, for example? So you're going to make him stay and do 10 catches, let's say, where his eyes are focused on the ball. Be very specific here. The idea is to reinforce the correct skill, the correct performance, rather than punish. So a center that makes a bad snap, stay and do extra snaps. 
Uh, in this way, the, the player is, is being held accountable. Specifically, though, is getting better at what he's accountable for. Rather than saying, you had a bad snap, give me 10 up-downs. You had a bad snap, go do a gasser. Right, relate it directly to it. The next category would be mental mistakes. And I think it can be handled in two ways. First, consider if the player is getting lazy mentally. If this is the case, then maybe a physical punishment is sufficient. Maybe sending him on a run to get him focused for a minute and tell him, hey, you need to get focused down to the goalpost and back. If the player doesn't understand what he's doing, however, then the repetition of the play or the technique or some kind of coaching there is really what is warranted rather than physical discipline or sprints. And then the last category, I would categorize this as loafs in general, and I think a lot of things can fit into this, but it basically comes down to the player's not working hard. And so the physical discipline, tying it to a sprint and up-down, etc., because he was taking a playoff and you want to reinforce one way or the other, you're going to work. I think that is, is appropriate in that situation. Again, their effort's something they have full responsibility for. Peer pressure is always good, right? If you have that guy who's constantly or a group of guys constantly doing it wrong, making the whole team do it along with them, certainly puts the stress on them to do things the right way to give 100% effort, etc. I saw a great one at the University of Akron. They have a certain amount of plays on their script. They are expected to keep their tempo at a certain pace to get those plays in within the allotted time. If they miss those plays, then they have a gasser for each one at the end. And I think they had about six of them on the day that I was there at practice. I think the unique thing, and this goes again to develop that relationship, show that you are 100% in with them, the head football coach, Tom Arth, ran those gassers with him. I was really impressed that you know, it wasn't just at this point, especially as he's developing his program, you guys go do this, you messed up. He's saying, I take accountability too. I'm going to do them with you. So again, it's building that rapport, and I think that's what I saw there. That was very important. I inserted another quote here. The greatest leader in the world could never win a campaign unless he understood the men he had to lead, and that was General Omar Bradley, who's a five-star general of the Allied Armies in World War II. So point number 10, be flexible. All players are not motivated by the same thing. Get to know what buttons you need to push to get a player going. Understand their needs and desires. The best motivation is that which comes from within. So figure a way out to get your players intrinsically motivated. You want them to reach their full potential. That has to be the primary motivation. It has to come within. Constant punishment means that they do not have it yet, and you need to refocus your methods. So if it's that guy again and again and again, not getting it done, always out there having to be disciplined, you got to think about what, what's missing in this teaching process, what's missing in this coaching process, what's missing in our relationship that I can improve so that we're not out here every day. You know, I used to say it like we would do punishment for players who came to camp out of shape and they're up at six in the morning before breakfast doing their conditioning. And, you know, the thought was, well, they're not only the ones being punished, the coach who has to get up earlier, he's being punished as well. So I think there's some motivation for that coach 
to make sure those things don't happen as well. So think about that. It's not always the most beneficial thing to just say, hey, we're going we're gonna to condition till you get this right. Figure it out. See what's missing in the process. See if you can get those things fixed and avoid that. 11, use positive praise and communication. Focus on the things that the player is doing well and emphasize those before making a criticism. Here's an example. You say to the player, I really like your initial footwork off the ball. That'll help you win, but you'll have a better chance if you block with a wider base. That's specifically better than yelling at them something that is too broad, like, you need to make that block. All right, focus on some of those exact same things. Get their attention by what did they do right, but then focus on, here's what I need you to fix. It's, it's significantly better than saying, you're not going to get it done if you won't block that way. So the specifics and the positives always help a player improve. Emphasize the positive, and they'll be more open to making change. If a player does not perform as desired on a play, explain not what he did wrong, but just what he should have done to perform perfectly. This will keep the player highly motivated. Number 12, every player should understand that he is important to the success of the team. He can still set and achieve goals even if his playing time is limited, even if he does not have playing time on a Friday night. Now, I wouldn't suggest that. I would look for those opportunities, even if it's a play, even if it's a role on a special team, whatever it might be, try to get them involved. But again, it could be limited time. This guy can still achieve a lot. A second teamer should be given some playing time during a meaningful situation in the course of the game. This allows him to see the results for his hard work and also prepares him to step up if he's needed. I see this all the time. A guy I could think of locally here does a great job with that early on, playing a lot of guys. Might take away playing time as they get into some bigger games, but trying to get them ready for it is, is Coach Elder, who was on our podcast a couple times here, uh, most recently talking about how he puts together his program K through 12. And it's, it's something you need to go back and I'll put that one link in show notes. If you haven't heard it, please, please listen. I think it's important for football in general. This means you must give every player an equal amount of attention, whether he be in the first team or the fifth. They should all know the mental and technical aspects of the game. They will vary in ability, of course, and you may even want to consider giving the players of lesser talent a little bit more attention because they can't get it done with talent. They need a little bit more coaching. We just had uh, a state champion on talking about that. I'll put the link in the show notes to his, his podcast, but he talked about how they take their most experienced coaches, their coordinators, and they go work with the younger players, and the younger coaches work with they're more experienced players who don't need as much uh, of the coaching. In the long run, though, they will work to improve physically because they do understand the game. I think that's important. We have to help them understand the game and the skills. They will have confidence in the mental and technical aspects of the game, which will increase their motivation to do some of those things we need them to do to get better as an athlete. 13 goes right along with that. Alternatively, take away playing time and use the bench as a motivator for players not performing. All players must exert a personal effort in order to see the field. Therefore, a player who does not practice or misses some practice should have his playing time cut or limited. If a player makes a glaring mistake on the field, whether that's mental or a loaf, it's okay to put a different player in and let that guy play for a little bit. Maybe that guy goes out and can only handle one rep and he gets beat, but it's the opportunity to get that guy off, coach him up, make sure that doesn't happen again, and 
get him back out on the field. It serves to motivate the player on the field and off. A player on the sideline is going to lose his motivation to work hard if the player on the field has absolutely no consequence for poor performance or laziness. Number 14, do not place a player in a position to handle something they are not ready for. If there is high anxiety caused by the risk of failure, motivation may be decreased. This is especially important when promoting a younger player to a position in the varsity program. That sophomore or that freshman who's brought up, make sure he's absolutely ready for that from the physical, mental, and emotional standpoint. Be sure to do things to remove anxiety for that player in order to give him a better chance to succeed. Also consider the consequences with team chemistry. Make sure he stands out in ability, attitude, and work effort before promoting him over an older player. Again, it has to be clear. That guy who's on the fringe, you might want to keep him with the JVs. All right, And look to see maybe where you could bring him in as a role and grow that role. But if the guy is clearly better, then players can see that. You don't want that situation, though, where it leads to something that demotivates an older group of players. Number 15, have a no-excuses mentality. There's a thousand reasons why we shouldn't be able to succeed or win. There are just as many reasons why we can get it done. Focus on how to succeed rather than why we can't get it done. Last section here, these guidelines should not be deviated from. Our philosophy of how players develop and how to motivate your players needs to become part of what you do as a coach. We'll become a better team by following these guidelines. So I know that was a a lengthier notebook. I I usually have ones that are probably 10 minutes shorter than this. But I think that's such an important thing here. As you move from the time of the year here where uh, some of the programs out there are moving from that off-season conditioning into a spring ball mentality, this is a great opportunity to continue to develop those relationships, to take all that you've learned about that player and the way he works and what he does and all the time you spent talking to him and learning about him, how do you apply it on the field now? It just can't stop because you go out onto the practice field. That's a great opportunity to continue to build that rapport with your players and make sure you have a strong player-coach relationship. Thank you again for listening to the Coaching Coordinator Podcast. Check out all we're doing with the podcast on coachingcoordinator.com. Follow me on Twitter at Coach K Grabowski, and I'd love to hear some of your coaching points for developing the player-coach relationship. You can DM me on Twitter or email me at Keith at coachingcoordinator.com.